Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we are back, and we are going to change things up. We're going to talk some fishing as we're joined by Josh Sedevy from the Tightline Outdoors people. Good morning, Josh. Morning, Terry. How's it going? It's going well. What a beautiful-looking weekend, isn't it? Oh, the weather's been great. Uh, even though we've been getting a ton of rain, how much of a drought we've been in the last couple of years, really can't complain about this. I can deal with uh, not getting so much hail, but water levels have all of our reservoirs looking really good, which is nice. You know, it's changing the fishing this year. Uh, it, the higher water levels move the fish around. The changing levels change their position. So it isn't that the fish aren't eating, but they can be, you can have to spend a little more time to find them. But the overall effect, the health of our fisheries that this water is going to mean is going to bode well for years and years to come, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, especially like Spinney and, and those lakes up in South Park that were so low going into the winter. Uh, if you look at the amount of water that they lost and, and that food that they had in the vegetation, uh, they came out of winter pretty lean. Um, so looking forward to having a, a good water level year, get those weeds growth up, get all that vegetation, all those, those little invertebrates and that stuff that they feed on back up and, and get those fish healthy. You know, speaking of spinning 11 mile up in those areas, one of the fish that you guys concentrate on a lot are the pike and you know people travel all over canada and alaska and and minnesota and those areas chasing big pike but boy you can catch some giant pike right here in colorado and you might even have a better chance at a big one in some cases here what are you seeing out there with the pike fishing right now uh pike fishing has been absolutely phenomenal uh this spring i think i've got 12 pike in the boat over 40 inches uh so far this spring um it has been been incredible um i can almost or at least the last couple weeks i I think i'm seven trips in a row with a pike over 40 inches um so you can't complain about that it doesn't matter where you go that's that's a big pike and the way our pike are built uh, they don't have the same growing seasons that, that some of these other uh, areas do. Their growing season's fairly short, so they put on a lot more weight than they do length. And, uh, yeah, when you stick one of those big fish, you definitely know it. Now, are the, because we've had the high water and some cooler temperatures, are the pike in a different stage right now? And are, what kind of tactics are you using? Yep, so I would just say within the last week, I really started to see these pike kind of shift around and, and transition into the summer patterns. Uh, a week and a half ago, I pretty much say that all we were mainly going to be doing was trolling planer boards, and our our numbers would be about a dozen and a half to two dozen fish a trip, and we had a shot at sticking a, a big fish during that trip. Uh, this last week, I would say we would probably start out trolling planer boards uh, just to cover some water and kind of see where specifically on the lake the majority of the fish were setting up. And then after that, then we were going back through and casting uh, swim baits and, and some of those bigger, um, bigger, slower presentations just to try to keep that bait in front of them when that wind calmed down. And our numbers 
would drop off because we're targeting more of those big fish. Uh, some days we're finding them off the deep structure, uh, like those deeper edges of the weed beds. And then some days we're finding them in six feet of water over mudflats with no vegetation anywhere around them. They're just cruising those mudflats. Uh, I would say it's mainly a, a wind-driven deal. Uh, if that wind is, is blowing into those mudflats, that seems to, to kind of pick that bite up is where if it's blowing away from those mudflats and we're seeing them uh, kind of hold up in that deeper structure and, and being able to target them in that, that 16 to, to 18, 20 feet of water uh, is where we've been finding them when they're deep. Now, has that been true both spinny and 11 mile and, of course, terriel, or has there been some differences? Yeah, I would say it's pretty even across the board. They all came into spring fairly low. Uh, as you guys know, 11 mile, they dropped that water level so that they could redo the barrier, uh, which CPW did a great job. That wind barrier for the boat ramp is awesome. Um, makes that really nice when that wind comes up. And then spinny was just low going into winter. Uh, so what I saw was, um, or what I'm seeing is, there's a band of weeds that grew when the water level was low, and they were in that, that couple feet of water to start with. And now that the water level is raised, uh, we don't have any weeds inside of really that 8 to 10-foot mark. Um, everything is, is deeper, and that's just where that weed growth got started uh, when the, when the ice came off. So that 10 to maybe 16, 18 feet, there's a pretty good band of weeds going all the way around the lake. Anything inside of that, that weed growth is, is starting to come up, but um, still really fishable. It's probably not even six to six inches to a foot off the bottom yet. Well, even on those deeper weeds, a lot of those pike, you probably fish right over the top of them and the top of, over the top of the weeds, don't you? Yes, we do. Um, so normally this time of year, we're, we're having to push and actually fish kind of the edges of that weed wall. Uh, but we still have probably seven and a half to, to nine, ten feet above the weeds. Uh, they keep letting some water in, which is nice. So it, it just keeps elevating that water level above the weeds so that we've got plenty of fishable habitat um, and not getting weeded out. We can still pull planer boards really effectively. Uh, like I said, if we kind of find that location where we're finding a lot of those fish or seeing those bigger fish, we can really slow down, come back, and, and work those areas very deliberately with some other baits. Um, but, yeah, still still very fishable um, and not getting weeded out, which is nice. How long do you expect the bite to hold up, or will it just change and you'll have to change tactics? Uh, it'll change, and, and we'll just have to have to adjust with it. Uh, these fish got to eat year-round, and we got to kind of keep that in mind. In the summertime, it gets difficult just because there's more food available for these fish. Uh, they've got the weeds and that kind of stuff to hide in, um, so they kind of have all the advantages in the in the summertime, just like all the rest of our fish throughout Colorado do. Uh, and then fall time, we really kind of see uh, that weed growth start to die off. Those fish really kind of kick up their feeding metabolism and that stuff getting ready for fall and then that's when that bite really picks up again uh, but the way that we're seeing this this pike bite going on uh, it's going to continue it's just going to shift I think we're going to be doing a, a lot less pulling planer boards uh, unless it's windy and just have to, to kind of really slow down and, and target um, little pockets where we know that those fish are holding so our overall catch numbers will go down but the size of fish um, that we're targeting is is going to stay consistent. 
Well, and when you talk about size of fish, I talked in the opening about going to Canada or Minnesota or Alaska. Um, I've had, I remember the last time I was on spinning, and it's been several years, I only caught three fish, but they were all over three feet long. And when you get a 40-inch fish in Colorado, you're talking 20-plus pounds, right? Oh, yeah. They're they're very different than a small hammer-handled pike. <laughs> um, and it, like I say, anywhere that you go in, in the States, the, the weight that we have on these fish, um, they're, they're a trophy fish no matter where you go. Let's switch things up a little bit, Josh. What's going on with the walleye bite? I know you guys were on Cherry Creek and Chatfield. We talked about it a little bit in the first hour, but what are you guys seeing on those lakes? Uh, the same kind of deal. Um, the fish are, are starting to hit their summer patterns, and with the high water, um, they've got food sources all over the lake. So we're able to do a lot of stuff for them. We can still pitch slip bobbers in the trees. Um, yesterday, we're... We're out at uh, Chatfield and uh, had the majority of our fish stacked up within a rod's length of, of the edge of the trees, and we were pulling live bait rigs and crawler harnesses and uh, crankbaits and that kind of stuff. Um, and there's still fish sitting a little bit deeper on those deeper weed edges. It's um, kind of a fun time of year. Uh, you're probably not going to catch the numbers that we saw last year just because they're, they're more um, – kind of spread out throughout the lake but it really affords you the opportunity to get out and say i want to try this technique and be able to find a spot in that lake where those fish are holding and gonna gonna bite for that pattern pretty well so uh, it's kind of a fun time of year what are your favorite techniques for going after the walleyes right now um depends if i've got kids in the boat uh slip bobbers are always fun uh it doesn't matter how old you get. you got to love seeing that bobber go down. So any time that we can set up on, on a fish, if, say we're coming along a tree line and we've got a little gap in those trees that's it's a little bit larger than, than the rest of them, uh, say we got like a 20-foot gap or something like that, and that just allows those fish, that ambush spot, that are, there's always a little bit of current moving around that stuff. We can pitch slip bobbers in there, uh, cast jigs and, and pitch jigs around there. Uh, super easy for young anglers to do. It's something visual they can they can see and understand what's going on really well. Um, and like I said, if you go through with your electronics and, and find that pocket of fish, you know they're going to be there. Um, if they stop biting, you just pick everything up and move down the trees another 20, 30 yards and do it again. So. I, I, I think a lot of people, I think sometimes we get a little full of ourselves as we get older and well, I'm not a, you know, I, I don't need a bobber. Uh, if a lot of people would use bobbers, both slip on and clip on bobbers, they would uh, catch just a lot more fish because it keeps that bait in the strike zone for so much longer. And slip bobbers, I think some people get a little intimidated, but it's just a bobber your line passes through, folks, and you use a string or a rubber stop to keep it from going any deeper than you would want it to, and you can adjust the depth. And now you can reel it up, and they're so much easier to cast, but you can reel it up, cast it as a compact presentation, but still fish in six, eight, ten feet of water without any problem because of the bobber stop. And a lot of times, you mentioned the wind and current. A lot of times, once you get it in position, that's all the action you need on it, isn't it? That is. And it just sits there. Uh, one thing I tell my clients on every one of our trips, 
in Colorado, our fish are well-fed. They're healthy. They're lazy fish. The longer that we can keep a bait in front of their nose, the more likely they're going to eat it. Just like if we sit down at, uh, on the couch after Thanksgiving dinner, we couldn't eat another bite. Somebody puts a pie on our lap and walks away. It may take us five minutes. It may take us 10 minutes, but eventually we're going to take a bite out of that pie. So the longer we can keep these baits in front of these fish, the more likely we're going to get bit. Uh, what's your favorite bait below the slip bobbers, uh, minnows, nightcrawlers, leeches, artificials, and does it change during the year? Uh, I would say the majority of the year, um, mainly for us, just by because of cost, uh, I would say nightcrawlers, will, we do better on those than, than anything. You can get a dozen nightcrawlers at almost any gas station. Uh, you can get them at at Bass Pro, Cabela's, Discount Tackle, any of those great tackle shops that we have around uh, Denver. They're always in stock. You don't have to worry about planning on using something that you can't get going out to the lake like leeches can be sometimes this year. And they're easier to keep. Um, so I would say a chunk of Nightcrawler is probably the, the thing that we catch more fish on. Um, and then as small of a jig head as, as you can get away with. Uh, one thirty second ounce, even some of the really small crappie stuff like one sixty fourth or one hundred ounce, uh, just something to to get that bait to the bottom and kind of hold it there. That that worm's not going to be trying to swim away, uh, so you can get away with really light uh, tackle that way. And the great thing about that is um, these fish see a lot of pressure throughout the year. So the lighter you can keep that bait and the less they feel that something's unnatural when they pick it up, the more likely you are to get that fish hooked. You know, it's also a good tactic to use from shore because a lot of times you can't drag a presentation through the brush, but you can cast into a pocket and then you can get a fish out of there a lot of times. So it makes, and with the fish this close, I'll bet there's been some shore activity available. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, this year, especially Chatfield, for instance, it would be a, a fairly good cast to be able to hit the backside of the trees from where the water level's been most of this year. Uh, so you're looking at casting into 12 to 14 feet of water from the bank. A slip bobber's a great presentation. Uh, if you're working the backside of those trees to, to make a pitch, with that bobber to where you think that those fish are likely going to hold and then use something else. Use a crankbait, uh, use a, like a size five or seven flicker shad or uh, a bass style crankbait and throw it around those trees and pull it through there and see if you can get those more aggressive fish while that, that slip bobber is just sitting there working for you as well. Um, from the shores right now, it's about the only way that you can effectively run two rods just because uh, there's all that sagebrush and that other vegetation that's in that water uh, in between you and, and the trees where you're going to want to be be working your baits. It'd be really hard to use a bottom presentation like a, a slip sinker rig or something like that. So that slip bobber just allows you another presentation, uh, gives you another couple fish uh, in the net or on shore by the end of the day, and just pretty simple to do. And I'll bet you're picking up other species too, like bass and trout and panfish. Oh, yeah, bass, uh, tons of trout in there right now, uh, a lot of pretty decent-sized perch. Uh, we're catching catfish. Um, this time of year, you never know what you're going to pull up. All right, Josh, we are out of time, but great information. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Terry. It was great talking to you. You bet, Josh Sedevi from, from Tight Lion Outdoors. 
Nate snuck away. He didn't want to tell anybody, but he snuck away. We're not. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones. Joining us from Jack's Outdoor Gear in Lafayette is Ava Ream. Good morning, Ava. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing great. What a beautiful day. It looks like we're headed into the weekend before the 4th of July with incredible weather, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. I love the sun. It's finally a little sunny outside. Yeah. Now, we talk about jacks all the time. We talk about the camping and the fishing and the hunting, and we talk about all the clothing. And, of course, you're in a combination store. You have all the 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 uh, hardware and farm and home type stuff and just a myriad of things. But I think, I don't know if we talk enough about some of the other activities that you guys support, uh, biking, you do a lot of that hiking, you've got great footwear, all those things. And one that I'm just finding out more about, and that's climbing. And that happens to be a passion of yours, but Jack's really has everything for anybody who's into climbing, don't they? Yes, we definitely have a ton of climbing gear uh, for beginners all the way up into if you're looking for specific um, gear for any outdoor expedition you're going on, definitely come in. We um, have a bunch of gear to work with. Now, as if I'm a beginning climber and I'm uh-huh. trying to get started, let's go through a few tips and how I did. What do I need to get to start out? Do I need to spend a lot of money or can I dip my toe in the water? Uh, how do I get started? There's definitely uh, many different parts to climbing. Uh, I usually recommend starting in like a gym and then trying some outdoors. Really, um, all you really need to start is around um, 150 with shoes. Shoes are where it's going to get a little bit more expensive. Uh, but you can definitely rent shoes or even climb in sneakers to start. Um, but you're looking at around like 100 uh, We actually have a Black Diamond beginner pack. Um, it's $100, but it comes with a chalk bag, some chalk, a harness, an ATC, and a carabiner. And that's pretty much all you really need to start. Um, and then, yeah, shoes whenever you uh, feel like getting a little bit more aggressive in um, how you're climbing and the technicals behind climbing. That's when you can really look at shoes and what kind of shoes you're um, looking for. Now, what you mentioned in ATC, what is that? <clears throat> Yeah, so that's going to be your belay device. So uh, in climbing, whenever we're doing ropes, they're going up pretty high. You're going to have a person on the ground that can hold the rope to make sure that you um, don't hit the ground if you accidentally fall. And so to do that safely, you put it through a metal uh, device to add some friction to the rope. So you're not holding the rope with that entire person's weight. Because if it was that entire person's weight, that's 100 pounds on top of the rope. Um, but with an ATC, there's friction, and you really don't need to hold it that hard um, on your brake to be able to keep someone on the wall. So if you're going outdoors camping, especially if you're a beginner, should you always go as a pair, or, or do a lot of people do it as an individual? A lot of people do it as an individual. Um, I would say that it's definitely more risky, and when you're starting, definitely do, uh, you should definitely go out with at least one more person. Um, I usually go with a partner anyways because uh, I find it a lot funner when I don't have to worry about um, my safety and I can just rely on another person to have my back. But um, 
a lot of a lot of people, especially around the Boulder Front Range area, do rope solo is what or and soloing is what it's called. Um, but I don't recommend it for beginning climbing because until you get the moves down and you're confident in yourself that you're not going to fall, um, it's definitely very risky and very dangerous. Now, if I'm starting out and I've never climbed before, and I'm trying to decide where to go. Are there ratings? Are there, first of all, are there climbing opportunities in Colorado for all levels of climbers? And is there some rating system? Definitely, yeah. Um, there's an online rating system that has most of the climbing areas downloaded onto it. It's called Mountain Project. It's a free app, and you can download it on your phone, and you can look at different climbing areas, different crags, which is where we what we call a rock face, where routes would be set. And then, um, and you can look, even look up uh, easy routes and hard routes and uh, where to go and how to get there. Um, and then you can always uh, do the old-fashioned way is climbing guidebooks. And we have actually have some guidebooks at Jack's. We don't have a, an amazing selection, but we have quite a few. And then um, I know some, uh, some definite uh, stores in Boulder have a ton of different books that'll just show you the entire climbing spectrum in like Boulder Canyon or wherever, whatever book you choose to look at. Now, is there, are the easy ones that you have to be an athlete? Do you have to be in tip top shape or can you start out with easy ones? Just an average individual. An average individual can totally start climbing. That's kind of what I love about climbing is you really only do competing against yourself. It's however far you want to push it. Um, if you don't feel like you don't have to, you don't you don't want to do a climb. You don't have to do that um, climb. You can get totally. There's easy climbs, and you can work your way up. And you're really just trying to push your own limits rather than competing against other people, which is something I just love about climbing. So, where are a couple of your favorite places to climb? I love Boulder Canyon. Um, Animals Crag, Crag is great. Um, I Aldo's fun. El Dorado Canyon. Um, does have a little bit more traditional climbing so that you need a little bit more gear and a little bit more experience, but that's also an amazing place. Um, Clear Creek Canyon up near Golden, that one's amazing. Um, they have some really nice crags that are really well built and re- well protected um, for beginner climbers who uh, need a little extra protection, a few extra bolts. But the, the key is that everything I need, including a lot of the knowledge, I can come to Jackson. You can help them out, right? Of course, any day. Now, let's switch gears a little bit. A lot of people are headed out for camping trips right now, and they're mm-hmm. all finding that there's something they forgot or something they opened it up and something had happened to it and it rotted or it's ripped or there's a leak. Over the last few years, getting outdoor equipment had become kind of a challenge with everybody everybody going outdoors but as far as camping and getting outdoors how is your inventory and do you have pretty much everything people would need oh yeah we definitely we have a ton of um chairs and a ton of different uh those everyday things that kind of wear down a lot because you use them throughout the season a ton uh yeah we definitely have a ton and then we also um do have a short fourth of july sale going on right now it's uh and the fourth but it's my hydro flasks are 25% off. My Kelty tents and sleeping bags are 25% off. And all of my chairs are 25% off. Um, along with in apparel, we have Columbia, Marmot, and Piranha, which are all amazing apparel brands. And those are going to be 30% off. 
Wow. And then, you know, another thing people don't think about for Jack's a lot of times is you guys have a great selection of grills and accessories, too. Yeah, definitely. Our kitchen is stocked with Traeger grills, Traeger smokers. Um, we a few times have done samples on the Traeger smokers with Cheez-Its, and they come out amazing. Um, and, yeah, we have a bunch of different accessories for them, uh, uh, different rubs. and uh, We also have barbecue sauces and different sauces as well. All right, Ava, we're out of time, but sounds great. Hopefully people will come and see you and get started in their climbing adventures. Of course. All right, thank you, Ava. Good talking to you. Yeah. All right, Ava Ream from Jackson Lafayette. What a bubbly personality. And I'll tell you what, Jax just has those kind of people in their stores. And she's she's in the camping department, but she's an avid climber, and she pays attention to all that. And, of course, they're just good people. We're going to take a time out when we come back. Chad Lachance is going to join us, and we're going to talk fishing and some of this brush and cover that you're seeing out on these lakes with the high water. All that more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go to the phones. And joining us, as he does on a regular basis, he was actually the original fill-in host when I used to do more traveling, and he'd have to go in the studio for me, and that's Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad. Hey, good morning, Terry. It's a beautiful morning at the lake. Oh, it is. I'll tell you what, you know, we've got more water than we've had in years. I was out checking some places and on the water myself this last week, and we needed this water. We've refilled just about everything. And the water is high. It's up in the trees and the brush. That presents a dilemma to some people. Um, because that water's high and up in the trees and up in the brush, a lot of the fish are getting drawn up there. And a lot of people are intimidated trying to fish that type of situation, Chad. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and finding is, as I posted a video the other day on my Facebook, and it's in something like 330,000 views in a couple of days. And all I wasn't talking about was fishing willow bushes. So I figured we probably ought to talk about this on the radio. Um, at the end of the day, you've got a combination of aquatic vegetation that's growing off the lake bed and terrestrial vegetation that is growing on the ground that is now being inundated. So they, there's a couple keys to all of it. First of all, um, everything's got to be weedless, big-time weedless. And, and, and this is a multi-species deal because anyone that fishes Glendo, walleyes do the same thing. They get in the willow bushes and the cottonwoods up there and get in the terrestrial vegetation. If you're fishing some of the trout places in, in North Park or South Park, the aquatic vegetation will grow up really heavy. And all that vegetation has a tremendous amount of life in it from everything from tadpoles and, and baby fish to every kind of insect and little crustaceans of all kinds. And so the food chain is just really rich when you get in that shallow freshly flooded stuff but there's a couple keys to fishing it one being everything has to be weedless or very weedless or it needs to float over the top of it and in some cases that's not an option because the, the vegetation will grow all the way to the surface um particularly some of the aquatic stuff but for me everything's weedless big time either a texas rig type bait which people can go on i'm sure your youtube or my youtube channel and look at those and see how they do that but um, needs to be very weedless for one. For two, you need to probably fish with braided line. If there's ever a reason for braided line, ever, it's now. If you're been resistant to that but you want to fish the, the vegetation, really the braided line's giant help because one of the hard parts is detecting bites when you're fishing around that stuff. 
And the braid will help you with that. For two, obviously the tensile strength because it's very, very strong. So you, if a fish gets you, you know, wrapped up in willow trees or in, in the, the cottonwoods or whatever, you can get them out. Also, if your bait does hang, you can point the rod straight at it and just pull, and it'll pull through the vegetation without any problem with the braided line. And, uh, and you get the big solid hook set. So the braided line is a key thing and heavy duty weedless. This is the time for a real hook set. And it doesn't matter if I'm fishing for again, trout in North park or walleyes in Glendo or, or bass at Boyd Lake. It's, it's going to be braided line. It's going to have a Texas rig and it's going to be fishing in and around vegetation, but there's specific things to look at, uh, with the vegetation. First of all, in some place like Boyd Lake, which freshly flooded, right? And there's a ton of vegetation there. As long as the terrestrial vegetation is still green, fish will stay in it pretty good. But as soon as the grass starts dying off, the grass that was growing on the ground, I think most of it's brome grass, if I'm guessing, uh, that was growing on the ground before it flooded. When that stuff starts dying, it's going to, instead of producing oxygen, it's going to rob the water of oxygen. Fish will pull out of it. So the first key is fishing around the greenest stuff you can find. And when I talk about terrestrial stuff and willow bushes are always going to trump cottonwood trees or service berries or any other bushes you're going to find around the lake. So uh, willow bushes are definitely your friend and there's keys to fishing those specifically as well. But at the end of the day, all our things being equal, just go hunt down the willow bushes and fish those. And again, that's the same thing with trout. Uh, I know a place up outside of Kremlin that's got a bunch of willows and the trout crews right underneath those things all the time, picking bugs off that are in there. So it's, this is not just a bass fishing thing. So when you're talking about this, you talked about Texas rigging, but you know, a lot of times when I'm fishing big bass in this cover, I'll have a, a big plastic worm or a creature bait or something like that. Uh, could be depending on the type of profile I want to present. If you're looking at some of these other species or smallmouth, which sometimes I use a smaller profile, are you using any specific types of baits? So you'll like this, Terry. Up at Glendo a couple of years ago, the, the water was really high, and we went up there and wanted to, to flip all the trees looking for walleyes up in the willows. So I took a four-inch gold minnow and Texas rigged it on a two-aught EWG hook, uh, extra-wide gap hook, and then had a little quarter-ounce tungsten sinker and had it on my regular bass pitching and flipping rod and threw that thing around the willow bushes. But now I have the advantage of the gulp. And as you know, gulp and, and power bait max and either one will get you lots of bites from walleyes or any other fish that are very scent uh, and, and flavor-oriented. And so I Texas rigged that thing and pitched it around, which I will very commonly do also here at Horsetooth for smallmouth. Um, another one for me, a lot of times is kind of old school is a tube jig, uh, a tube jig on a Texas rig, a little bit bigger tube jig on a Texas rig is a really good one. And I don't like to throw any sort of ribbony stuff, um, uh, for smallmouth, but if I'm around largemouth, absolutely. I'll throw a big worm. And in fact, I won a tournament at Lone Tree years ago by taking a 12 inch power worm, the biggest one they make with a six aught EWG hook and no weight and swimming that thing through the flooded bushes all around Lone Tree. And if, if people remember Lone Tree, there used to be a ton of flooded vegetation in that lake, and I loved it. And swimming that weightless, that big giant worm weightless through that vegetation was a great way to get big bites. You know, you talked about the weight, and like if I'm fishing in Minnesota and I'm trying to punch through the mat or Texas where I want to get, say, a, a jig or another weedless presentation to punch through the top mat and drop down into a hole, I might use a fairly heavy weight. But personally, and you can tell me what you think of this, when I'm fishing around brush where things tend to wrap and get hooked up a little easier, I'll go to the lightest weight I can get away with because it doesn't seem to snag as much. 
hundred percent. A hundred percent agree with you on that. And there's a little bit different. In fact, that was one of the comments that I got a bunch on that, on that video I posted that got all the views was, oh, geez, that's not a heavy enough weight. But what you have to realize is the willow bush is just a canopy right at the water surface and up. Everything underneath it is hollow, and there's nothing there. So I doesn't. I want a nice slow fall rate once I punch through that little bit of canopy and then let it go through there. But if I'm fishing truly matted stuff, like you'll find at the north end of Boyd Lake, I'm uh, just trying to think of local places, any one of the ponds around here with the elodia grass, um, that's a true punching situation where there's a lot of, of heavy vegetation right on the surface and it extends down through the water column. Then I might very well, even at a place like Boyd, be up in like a one-ounce sinker, uh, even though I'm fishing, say, three feet deep of water uh, because that big sinker is the only way to get the, the bait down through the vegetation. In all of these cases, too, I'm going to use some way to make the sinker, which is sliding ahead of the bait, pegged so it stays in one spot so you can do anything from use a bobber stop to a slip bobber stop to a toothpick or there's just a lot of ways to do it but you don't want the sinker to free slide or it will go down in the vegetation and leave your bait on the surface so you definitely want to peg it and when i'm doing like trout up at, at delaney's i typically will do a tube jig and uh and then i'll peg that little tiny sinker right ahead of the tube jig with an eight ounce weight and just just enough to where it'll settle into the top of the vegetation and just pull it you know i can just pull it along right on the top of the edge and pick up lots and lots of trout doing that how do you feel about the the unweighted baits like the general or senko style baits I like them if fish are on the edges. That's a good question because when fish are on the edges of the vegetation as opposed to buried in it, then I like it. So if my fish are aggressive, let's say these, let's go back to willows because that's really the one that is the big denominator on all of this uh, for the high water year. If the willows is the big canopy, as I said, the canopy might be 20 or 30 feet across, but all the trunks are in the middle at the bottom. And that's where the biggest fish want to be. So if you're throwing something like a wacky rig general out there around the edges, you might be asking a fish to swim six or seven or eight feet out to find it and get it because they're in the center of the bush. And I've verified that with, with bushes here at Horseshoes. We're literally getting in the water and looking. And the smallmouth are all grouped right around the trunk. Now I can do that with my live sonar. I can look at the bush and say, oh, they're all right around the trunk. So it doesn't do me any good to throw a, a, a bait out around the edges of the, of the cover. But there are times when fish will get on like weed lines or the edges of the bushes or particularly where two kinds of vegetation come together or even better where there's some sort of hard cover in the vegetation. So we one time nuked walleyes at Boyd for like an hour straight because they were piled in the hard cover that had the veg growing all around it. And the hard stuff keeps the veg, keeps the aquatic vegetation from growing. And the wise were taking advantage of that hard spot. And so again, it was fishing around the edges of the vegetation as opposed to right in it uh, to get the fish to bite. I think the last point I'd like to make, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, people would catch a lot more fish if they throw the bait where the fish are and it gets intimidating. They don't like throwing. Even when the water's down, they shy away from, they'll try to find an open area to throw their lure. Not that they can't be fished there, but a lot of times you just have to try it, break off a few inexpensive plastic baits and get the confidence that you can fish in these areas. Absolutely. I watch guys fish behind the house here a lot. Um, and, and I'm fortunate that I have a lot of flooded stuff around my house and everybody throws 10 feet from everything. Like it's very few guys that are going to come in and actually throw in the actual vegetation. There's see some guys throw at lanes through the trees 
uh, you know, things like that. But there's not very many guys that are actually get in it and fish. And that's why the big fish will be in there. First of all, they're comfortable. They've got a lot of cover protection. Second of all, they've got food. Third of all, they've got shade. So they're very comfortable in there. And, but you got to go in and get them. They're not going to swim out of there willingly to come get your stuff. So that's a very important thing. And you're right. You just got to have confidence to do it. The braided line is key making sure check your hook on a regular basis and make sure that it is buried. I'd rather miss a couple of hook sets because my hook didn't pull through than have to fight snagging because my hook is barely skinned. So again, people, if they're not familiar with Texas rigs, should go look up how to do that. Send me an email. I'll send you a video chat at fishful thinker, but it's a really key thing. And it's not just for bass guys. Again, I use it for a lot of different stuff and you know, you just, you just don't see it very often. The guy's willing to actually address the vegetation, especially for things like trout and walleyes outside of Glendo. You don't hear guys doing that, but it's a really good way to catch a lot of walleyes as well. We've done it at Swanson Reservoir in Nebraska as well. Really, really good when they pile in the willow bushes. 30 seconds left. How's the bite at Horse Tooth for people headed out this weekend? It's hit or miss. There's there's fish biting, but there's a lot of water right now. And they're, they're spread out all over the place. I'd love to tell you a, a secret spot, but uh, there's trout rolling pretty much every evening all over the lake, just depending on where they show up. Um, water temperatures are anywhere from mid 60s to low 70s, depending on where you are on the lake. And water is very high and it's very clear on the main lake and stained up in the back. So busy weekend up here this weekend. The boat parade is tonight, the lighted boat parade. Uh, so it's going to be a busy weekend here as far as that goes, but it's a beautiful time to be out fishing. And you know, Terry, the best time to fish is when you have it. That's right. The best time to fish is any time you can. We are out of time, my friend. We will talk to you again soon. And you and I haven't been on the water together in a long time. I uh, know. We need to work that out. Put the boat in water. Boat on in here and say hi. Mine's, mine's in the way water for the weekend. All right. We will do that. Thank you, Chad. All right. See you, Terry. All right. Chad Lachance. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, we're going to wrap up this week's edition of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We're going to be wrapping things up for this week's show. You know, there's going to be a lot of people in the outdoors. It's supposed to be a beautiful weekend. We have a chance of some rain and storms on 4th of July, I think. But overall, it should be pretty good weather. A lot of people out there, a lot of people recreating, whether they're camping, fishing, boating, hiking, whatever they're doing, you're not going to probably be alone. So the, the thing is, we want you to get out in the outdoors. That's what this show is about. Enjoy your favorite outdoor activity, but respect other people while you do it. We can all have a great time. We really want you to get out and have fun, but do it responsibly and do it with respect for others. And most of all, do it very, very safely, okay? okay? Now, is Mr. Dan Jacobs in the studio? I'm here, Coach. You know, I have two things. First of all, Broncos' expectations. Everybody says, I'm not going to have any expectations until I see what they do. They let me down too much last year, yet all I hear are expectations. What, what thinks you? Yeah, I'm. listen, I am very hopeful that Sean Payton is going to you know I'm a you know what I'm going to uh, put out this analogy everybody on the boat right no matter how novice a fisherman they are they always think they're just going to go out and catch a bunch of fish right but if they don't know how to fish 
That is not realistic, right? Or if they don't have the right equipment, it's just, you know, you could get lucky, right? Otherwise, it's a process. you got to get through the preparation. you got to have the right, you know, baits and presentations and all that stuff. And right now, they just don't have everything they need yet. But they have a good coach. I think that's going to make a world of difference. But they still need time to put everything in place to bring in a good haul, Terry, to get a boat full of fish or, you know, in their case, a boat full of, you know, championships and wins. That I think that's going to take a little bit longer time to get everything in place. I don't think they're going to be serious contenders for much this year. But, hey, man, that doesn't mean it's not going to be a meaningful season to watch them grow and progress from five wins and, all you know, the, the just the abomination that has been for the last six, seven years. I think it's still going to be a fun season. But, no, I'm with you. I, I think what you're getting at is let's, let's not get out of hand here. Like, people seem to be doing, um, not, not not fans necessarily, but our, our media brethren. Yes, as we get closer to training camp, I'm seeing the same things you're seeing, Terry, which is, oh, everything's going to be perfect again, just like every single training camp because the media can't seem to help themselves. Well, I know, and 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 you, you, your fishing analogy was right on. Every angler gets up in the morning, even the experienced good ones, on his way to the lake with ultimate optimism. And we head into training camp every year for the last six years with this optimistic that we're finally going to turn it around. I hope so. I want them to be competitive. I'm a huge, huge fan. But I let's just temper it a little bit and make sure we give this thing a chance to work. Now, my friend. I have a quote for you. Okay. Remember, people, most people don't want to hear your opinion. They want to hear their opinion coming out of your mouth. Okay. What do you think of that? Well, they're going to get my opinion whether they like it or not. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what I think. But isn't that, isn't that so true that people don't re- – so many people aren't open-minded. They really don't care what you think. They want you to say what they think. Well, sadly, sadly, uh, a large part of our society, no matter, you know, I'm not going one day or the other, that yes, we are becoming more polarized and that we are, as a, it, it seems to us as a society, we are less open to new ideas. And uh, that's sad. But the good people, the if you're the more receptive you are to learning and growth and self-discovery. And like if I'm on the boat with Terry and I say, I'm a great fisherman. And I grew up with my dad and I caught a bunch of fish. Am I going to get better at fishing or not? If, or if I say Probably I'm on the not. boat with Terry and he can show me a few things, I might get better at fishing. You're absolutely right. Anyway, I'm going to let you go so you can share your opinion. I think it mentions that in your theme song. Yes. And I'll when's wrap, the new I'll Wickstrom and Bo, uh, Dobrith stuff coming? I hear it's coming. Is it, When's it coming? I'm looking for the press release. As soon as I get in the studio and record the final vocals, we'll release the next single. All right. Sounds good. All right. All right. We're wrapping it up. Join us every Saturday from 9 to 11. Follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Also, follow our music on all the social media and streaming service, Wickstrom and Dobrith. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and Dan Jacobs on 104.3 The Fan. Up ahead in the distance I saw a shimmer light 